So in order to scale, you either get financed, you hire employees, or you leverage the internet. And I chose to leverage the internet. And I am exporting what we stand for, what we believe in. And the beautiful thing is, it's a proven method. Hi, I'm Brooke Raybould. I'm a high-achieving mama with a Georgetown MBA who said no to the corporate world and yes to herself. Trained by two of the top business schools in the country, I fell in love with entrepreneurship and embarked on the biggest startup of my life, my family. Drowning in diapers and laundry, I bootstrapped my way to building a six-figure online business where I was paid to be myself. And now, I'm on a mission to help women ditch the mom memes and build the life they were created for. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom looking to optimize your routines and carve out a little something for yourself, or the savvy woman wanting to do it all, I will break down the systems and strategies that help busy moms get big results. Step on into my stay-at-home office and welcome to the At Home Startup Podcast. Today's guest on the At Home Startup Podcast is someone who I've been vying to get on this show to discuss something that people are terrified of, but he does it in such a purposeful and empowering way. And that is the topic of accounting and taxes. And now before you run for the hills, like I usually do when tax season approaches, give this episode a chance. Khalil Dabaja is my guest. He is the founder of Commonwealth, an advisory firm dedicated to serving entrepreneurs. I came across Khalil on Instagram and I am so excited because what he does is more than basic tax and accounting services. He empowers people to go out and really follow their purpose to become entrepreneurs and do it in a way so that they're not scared of their accounting, that they can take back the reins on their taxes. And so they understand how they can use their money so that they're doing what they should be doing as entrepreneurs. So Khalil graduated from the University of Michigan. He obtained a dual degree in accounting and finance. And complementary to his education, he started a private accounting business. A Fortune 100 CEO once described him as an entrepreneur who happens to be an accountant. His belief in relying on facts and figures and emotional intelligence link the entrepreneurial and accountant spirit in him. Outside of Commonwealth, he spends time making beautiful memories with his family. Welcome to the at-home startup, Khalil Dabaja. Khalil, thank you so much for being on the at-home startup podcast you know, having you here brings a smile to my face because like we were saying offline, I have been wanting to get you on this podcast for so long. I am a mom. I am a small business entrepreneur. And even my husband who went to Yale and he's like a big time like lawyer, there is nothing that intimidates us more than taxes and accounting. And my husband and I, we get along so, so well. But when tax season comes around, we get snappy with each other. And I've even had to draw lines with him where I'm like, Ryan, like if you ask me about the taxes one more time, if I have to think about expenses, my dad always taught me this too. He's like, don't think about you know the expenses, think about the income. But there's like this reality that we have to face. And so seeing your Instagram account blow up and it really is empowering people to, you know, look at accounting and taxes in a way that empowers them. So can you just get in a, a little bit of your story on what it is you do? That's a great way to put it in terms of empowerment. But to backtrack, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be on the At Home Startup Podcast where I do feel like I'm at home. So I appreciate that. And in terms of taxes and accounting, it's a foreign language. I believe it was Albert Einstein who said, you're guaranteed two things in life, death and taxes. So coming from a Yale background or an Ivy League background or Georgetown MBA background like yourself, 
it's just we're never taught the basics of tax and accounting. But in terms of how I got started in this, it was I actually went the pre-med route. So unlike your story where you went into the business world because your father was into commercial real estate and he was very successful, my route was, so my parent, I come from a, a blue collar family. The first business owner in my family was actually my grandfather or my, you could say my great grandfather. But my parents were uh, W-2 earners. They have, uh, you know, jobs, benefits, and they provide us a great life. But we decided to go the entrepreneur route after I took the pre-med route. Everybody wants to be a doctor or go into medicine just because of the job security, the status, the guaranteed income and helping others. But when I was in pre-med undergrad, I just, I didn't get that, that fire in me just wasn't there. And I started to question myself when I took an organic chemistry class. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? So I pivoted because I had the opportunity to come up. I call it Alexander's University. So my uncle had a custom clothing store and he started it when he was 23 years old. And he deals with the, you know, I'd say 0.5% of the country. So executives, business owners, very successful attorneys, athletes, celebrities. So I had the opportunity to, you know, come up through his shop. I got to see the way people spent their money and the profession that they actually belonged to. And I noticed that it wasn't the physicians that were spending the top dollars buying these custom suits. It was actually entrepreneurs and business owners. So I had to sit down with my, my closest mentors, which is my parents, my uncle, my brothers. And I said, I think the route to take is the business route and the most secure field that you can study in business were the top two, accounting and finance. So I majored in both. So after completing my dual degree in my 150 credits, I went off on my own at 23 years old and I started my own accounting practice. And I called it a managerial practice where we would come to you. And what that stood for was I can't afford having an office space and paying rent and having additional expenses. But what I'll do is I'll bring my briefcase to your office, set up shop at your location, and I'll work on your internal uh, accounting. So I had the opportunity through a family friend who reached out to me and was like, hey, something's going on with my business. Something's not adding up. And luckily, this individual was, he invested in his business. So he saw the value in investing in an accounting and tax infrastructure. So when he brought me on board, he actually asked me if I knew anybody. He didn't realize that I graduated college. I told him, I'm like, look, I got the perfect guy for you. And he's like, really? Who's that? I said, myself. And he went crazy. He was like, Oh my God, I forgot you were an accounting, uh, you know, you're an accountant. I thought you were still in school. I said, look, I'm done. I'm ready to rock and roll. I started up my own LLC and here's what we're doing. We're doing managerial accounting. And I think if I come into your internal office and analyze what your CPA of, you know, 30 years was doing, I bet you I could find, uh, you know, the mistake. So after having this opportunity within two weeks on the job, I realized that this specific client was overpaying $50,000 in sales tax over a few years. So it was like a couple thousand dollars a month, but it ended up being around $50,000 over two years. And I pinpointed it. So when I called the CPA's office, keep in mind, I'm like 24 years old at the time. I called the CPA office and the CPAs around like maybe 56 years old. And uh, they hung up in my face. They were upset. They took it personal. And one thing I learned in business is don't take things personal. I mean, if we're working on the, the common denominator, which is the client, let's just try to get this client the money back. So after all the drama and me continuing just to attempt to be like, look, it's all good. I'm not blaming you. There's, you know, no harm, no foul. Let's just get our clients, our mutual client, the money back. So we ended up getting the money back. And that client offered me like a $5,000 commission for getting him that money. And I declined it. And I told him, I'm like, look, you brought me on board to assist you in your internal accounting and tax infrastructure. This is my job. This is what I'm paid to do. And that set fire. So organically, the business just continued to grow through word of mouth. And then a lot of business owners just started to question, hey, my accountant isn't as passionate or as aggressive or as savvy or as knowledgeable. And some people like my first company was called Kid and Co. And because my initials are KID. So I use it to my advantage. And it was just called Kid and Co. So I was known as the kid. And I brought that youthful energy to the business. And that's what a lot of business owners loved. So if I didn't have the opportunity, so that CPA that actually made that mistake, he actually hired me. He was paying my company. He's like, look, you know what you're doing? 
come get your experience from me. And I was lucky enough and I respect him. I speak to him to this day where he, he opened up his office and his experience to me to be like, look, here's how things work. Here's how the tax code is designed. You can't gain this experience if you don't have that mentor in place because it would take years to understand how the tax code works. Until this day, you can be a CPA with 50 years of experience, but if you haven't come across a business experience from one of your clients, you would never know this stuff. So I talked to him to this day. One thing that keeps me up at night is when I ask him, I go, Mike, how's the retirement life going? And he goes, I don't miss my former life. And when he said that to me, it, it really hit home because I'm like, I never want to have that regret. And I want to do things and work with entrepreneurs and save them money so they could spend on their families and travel and make memories because entrepreneurs work so hard in this country and we're really the backbone. And that's why we called our business Commonwealth for the good of society. I want to help society through business ownership and entrepreneurship to educate entrepreneurs on accounting and tax savings. So that's how I got into it. It just gets me so excited because, you know, you nailed it when it's like people, they just don't know. Some people, they do their own taxes. For a long time, I did my own taxes. And then you maybe hand it off to someone and still there's so much vulnerability in that, especially if you're you know, a self-employed entrepreneur and, you know, taxes come about and you're writing that check. And I remember even this past, you know, tax filing day, right? I don't know. Next season. Yeah. And, and just that I felt so vulnerable. It was that feeling where I've worked so hard and I am, you know, I'm for paying my share, but what I don't want to do is pay when I don't understand. Do you know what I mean? And that is when people get upset. And so your account, I mean, there's so much information in there that gives you the tools to feel like you have a handle on it. And now something I want to talk about too is the difference between getting your taxes prepared and then working with someone on tax strategy. Can you kind of like break that down and what's going on you're like the tax strategy behind all of this, right? Absolutely. It's a huge responsibility and heavy burden as an accountant and as a business owner. So we always hit home. Like there's, there's few things that you can really discuss when it comes to accounting and taxes. I mean, it's, it's pretty black and white. Now, the taxes that you pay are based on your accountant's interpretation of the tax code. So that means when you're filing your taxes, if your accountant is telling you, this is what you owe, what are you going to say? What are you going to tell them? I mean, they're the professional. That's why relationships are built on trust. So you're going to say, okay, I'll write the check and we'll mail it and we'll pay the tax. But what if it wasn't what you're supposed to pay? And what if that interpretation wasn't the best interpretation? And what if this has been going on for years and you never thought about it? It makes you sick to your stomach. It does. I mean, that's why you want to align yourself as the CEO of your company, you want to align yourself with the best team around you who you trust, who are looking after your interests as if they are your own. Now, when it comes to tax planning versus tax preparation, here's how the game works. When you're a business owner, you have sales coming in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You have expenses going out on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. The key is to track this data and analyze it on a monthly, quarterly basis. Because what that does is it buys you time. When you are analyzing the financial statements with your accountant, you're now looking at profitability, what the tax liability is, what it's estimated to be, and ways where you can reduce that liability. Now the key is, how do we reduce that liability? What are the recommendations that you make as an accounting professional? This is what separates us from everybody else because they don't make those recommendations. They leave you in the dark and like, hey, this is what you owe. Good luck. Like, you know what? You had a great year. You're making money. It means if you're paying taxes, it means you're making money. That right there is my biggest problem. And I guess I put it on myself because now it's gotten to the point where it's like, I can't not understand this anymore. I have to be able to have someone on my team or just someone who understands our family 
objectives so that we can be better at this because it's one thing to start making money as an entrepreneur. That's every entrepreneur's dream. But then I told my dad, I'm like, you get to the next level. And that next level is how you use the money then that you're making and taxes weigh into that. And so then it's like, well, what is the next level of, you know, there's investing and all of this ties into the tax code. You know, an example of this is we participated in an investment and because I wasn't an active investor, that didn't count as a loss. And I was like, oh, if I understood this better, would I have made that decision? And again, it comes back to empowering yourself. And that's where I want people to like get all of your like kind of nuggets of wisdom from. Because then I started, you know, I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur, like mommy blogger, I guess. And I'm like, this is kind of what makes what makes it flow, right? Absolutely. So as an entrepreneur, you are incentivized to reinvest your profits into your business. So the tax code is designed that way. We're not doing anything illegal. We're just following the, the tax code. Do you think Amazon or Netflix or any of these international corporations, these conglomerates are doing anything illegal? They're following the tax code. They just have a budget where they can afford to pay accountants and an army of tax lawyers to find these loopholes. Now, as an entrepreneur and a small business owner, we don't necessarily have that unlimited allocation of money to pay for accountants and taxes, but it's also not your, I mean, it's, it's your responsibility to a certain extent. That's like me having a client who's a physician and me telling the physician, here's how you should treat me. It's not your responsibility as a business owner to take it to that level in terms of telling the accountant what type of tax strategy you should implement. Your role is to hire those around you that can give you that guidance, who do this for a living, who are experts at what they do. Now, because you're incentivized to do that, to reinvest your profits into your business or make real estate investments that will reduce your tax liability, this is how the economy works, as you mentioned, and that's how the system is designed. And the reason why it's like that is because you you as an entrepreneur are providing employment opportunities, you're paying sales tax, you're, you're taking a responsibility off of the government and you're saying, hey, I'm willing to take on that risk and I'm going to help society through the products and services that I offer. Now, because of that, that's why you are incentivized to pay the least amount of taxes. But you're not going to pay the least amount of taxes if you're not tax planning. So when you're reviewing your financials on a monthly or quarterly basis, you're ahead of the year. You know, you're paying your quarterly estimates, if anything, because if you're, you know, reinvesting your profits into your business, you may not have any tax liability. But you won't know that if you're meeting with your accountant after December 31st. No, this is what happens to so many people. And they're like, oh, shoot, like me, where I was like, if I would have known, I would have in this year, I told Ryan, which is why I'm so excited. I was like, this is the year we do it right. But even still, where we were even into January, and I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, like, what do we do now? And like, I guess from a bird's eye view, what are some of those maybe like initial steps when you're working with an entrepreneur and they have this cash that maybe for someone like me, I don't have a lot of expenses. So I just write a straight up like check to the government. And now I'm like, I have expertise in commercial real estate and real estate in general. Are there some kind of ways that you advise people to start down that process who may be like me, who have the general skill set to be able to, to do these things? Like what would, what would be the starting? And I know it's so unique. Absolutely. This is the million dollar question. Where do we start? My, my philosophy is you don't want to burn your cash. So if you have to pay the tax, you have to pay the tax, especially if it's after December 31st. You don't want to buy things or make you know bad decisions just because you'd rather pay less of a tax liability when it's not really going to benefit you or your business. It's just the, the government saying you have the decision to pay the tax that you choose to pay. So if you're not going to reinvest those profits into your business, this is the tax that you owe us. Now, in terms of steps, step one, and I know everybody's probably expecting me to say, go buy a private jet or a G-Wagon. <laughs> Social media is crazy. Yes. 
You have to make money like Grant first. Grant Cardone. He's like, just get this private jet. And I'm like, okay. But what people forget to realize is they have to make the money first. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so. But that's the thing. You're like, should I get a loan for this? And then now is that – and that's where your brain goes, right? Because I'm like, well, I could get a real estate asset. Then we have a loan. So then what's the better of the two options at exactly. this point? So the first step is number one, obviously you create a legal entity, an LLC, a corporate entity. And the reason why you do that is because you want to protect your personal assets. So that's the first step from vendors or customers or any legal protections. You don't want your home or any personal assets that you own subject to any liability. Step two, you open up a business bank account using your federal tax ID that you applied for and your articles of organization or incorporation in the state that you opened up your LLC. Okay. Step three, you separate your personal and business expenses. You do not pay your mortgage or any personal shopping from your business bank account because of legal protection. Step four, when you're ready, you don't necessarily have, like if you can handle your own accounting, go for it. Buy a third-party software, QuickBooks Online or QuickBooks or any other software and start tracking your records. But then you're going to realize once you start to scale your business, I can't do this much longer. This is taking so much time. Let me delegate these hours to an expert, somebody that, that I can afford who's willing to look after my business. So the, so step five, which is like step one, if you're already past the, the beginning phase, the ultimate tax strategy is to have a great set of books, to have data, to make decisions. You can't just make a decision looking off of your bank statement. You need balance sheets, profit and loss statements, cash flow statements to review and analyze to make those decisions to be like, okay, so this is what our profit is at this point. Here's what I can afford to invest in to reduce my tax liability. So you need the data first. Once you have the data and a great accountant on your team who's representing your business interests, now the next steps, this is where the fun starts. In your business, you're in social media, you're a content creator, you're an influencer. Do you think a CPA who's 50, 60 years old knows anything about this industry? No, this is new. This is new. I know. That's why even questions like th these are some of the things I run into. There's so much in my life that could be an expense. Of course. That could also be personal. Yeah. So you're like, how, where do I draw the line? Now, in terms of this industry that you're in, we call them lifestyle deductions because they are. We've had influencers in this space that are clients uh, that have millions of followers. We just obviously don't publicize it. We keep our client list very close to the heart. It's all you know confidential, especially in this industry. But we understand that when you're buying certain things, they could be considered personal to the ordinary individual who's not running a social media business. But at the same time, this is a ordinary and necessary expense for your social media business. And especially in your case, because your family is your showcase. Now, there are lifestyle deductions that you can tap into and many other entrepreneurs can tap into as well, such as uh, your home, your meals, your vehicles, your children on payroll, your travel with your spouse. Like you can tap into all of this because when you're going to Disney or when you're traveling with your family, you're also recording content. And when you're meeting with your husband, who's the lawyer of your business, right? There's legal fees that you have to pay. Yes, that's <laughs> well, true. In terms of counsel and where do we go from here and protecting the business? Like there's so many different creative ways that as long as you can claim that they are ordinary and necessary for you to operate your business and they're supported with documentation, which is the golden ticket. Documentation is key. As long as you can support that, it's a legitimate expense that you can take. And I'm speaking from experience of going through IRS audits. I'm not speaking from my own personal opinion. I know this because I've gone through audits with IRS agents and I know what they ask for. And everything is deductible until you get audited. Until they say, hey, where's your documentation? I need receipts to show who you met with, what was discussed, where you, you know, had your dinner type of thing. Right. Can we take an example really fast? And even if I made a mistake doing this, so say, um, so a Disney trip, and I just kind of want people to maybe understand this. 
So I had a, a contracted relationship with the Four Seasons that I got the media rate to be able to stay there, but it was contracted via you know three social media posts. I still paid, but to me, that was a business expense at that point, even though we got a lot of joy from the situation. This is where I get confused because I enjoy so much of what I do. It feels like I should I shouldn't be able to deduct all of it. Does that make sense? I yeah, get this guilt. Like you, 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 which is good. It's your conscious telling you, am I doing the right thing? Am I taking advantage of the system? I'm a great citizen. I want to follow the law of this country and I don't want to take advantage of it. You are 100% like the way you feel is legitimate. It's accurate. And that's how we feel as well. Like we're not reckless at all. We're far from that. But you're also leaving money on the table because it's like this government and this beautiful country that we belong to is actually saying, Hey, Brooke, we know you're taking on risk for you to create this business out of thin air. There has to be some type of incentive for you to do that. That's where the government's saying, we are going to incentivize you. These are expenses that you can take. Now, the key is to separate what's business and separate what's personal. You never want to take the full Disney trip and say 100% of it was a business right. trip. You need to protect yourself. So how do you like determine though? I get so confused. I'm like, well, do I, you know, expense this? And then like the four seasons, I was like, okay, that, because that's a contractual, but is there anything in there? But then this is crazy. So I have a Disney guide that I sell um, that I launched, you know, whereas we didn't expense the Disney tickets the original year. And I don't think we did the second year either. But now this gets into some very gray territory where I'm like, we're going to Disneyland this upcoming summer and I'm going to do another guide, which the first Disney World guide did so well. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, is it the flights? Is it the hotel? Is it the tickets? Like, what do I, I want to do the right thing. And then I find I almost over, I undercredit myself and overpay my taxes. Which is understandable. You'd rather the government owe you money right, than you owe the government. It's, it's almost like an insurance policy. Now, from your specific example would you be going to disney if it wasn't business related like if you didn't have this contract with four seasons what's the likelihood of you going we wouldn't have gone the first time you know we wouldn't have paid to stay at the four seasons and we probably wouldn't have gone on the trip yeah so you would say all right now this is business related i'm going to be recording content i'm going to be sharing this experience with all of my my audience my community so this is your business. Your business is you, in a sense. That's what's so hard, right? <laughs> because so, so typically, we always say you have to separate yourself from the business. But in the influencer space, your business revolves around you and your family. So what I would suggest, what I would recommend is you always take a personal percentage out. So for example, I would take 10, 20% of my trip in total, my airfare, my meals, you have to eat, but, but not all of your meals are going to be business related unless you're meeting with other influencers, other vendors, or, you know, landing other contractors or taking out, you know, people that you associate with in business. If it's just going out to eat with the kids and buying them, you know, some meals, you can't obviously write that off. You can't because it's not business related, but your travel, so your airfare, your lodging, your hotel stay. Uh, a portion of your meals, a portion of even your, I, I mean, clothing, unless it has your logo on it, you can't really tap into. But I would say overall, you would back out 10, 20% of my total trip and say, here, government, this is personal. I'm already doing my due diligence. I'm going to take 80% of my trip and say it's all business because it is business related and I have proof and I have documentation to prove it. And then the other 10, 20% is going to be personal. I'm going to be responsible and say, all right, this part is personal. So, okay. And then just to reverse onto what you were just saying. Now, when you're paying for that as a business and you are backing out a certain percentage as personal, how are you paying for that as a business? So say, 
a portion of, well, you had mentioned airfare, but say you're backing out a portion of the tickets or whatever or something, how are you paying for that? That's where it gets confusing. So, so when you're a business owner, you want to use your business bank account or business credit cards. Now, you're going to expense all of it on your business accounts, whether credit card for the business or bank account for the business. You're not going to say, all right, you know what, without going on the trip, I'm going to use my personal card to pay for this and then use my business. That just complicates it. What then happens is it's an accounting adjustment or a journal entry where, or you can do this yourself or your accountant would do it to say, all right, well, I'm going to take the total of this trip and I'm going to debit the shareholder distributions or member draws your personal uh, distribution account. And I'm going to take 10% or 20% and I'm going to debit against Brooks draw account because that's personal. And I'm going to credit the travel expense, right? Or advertising, whatever uh, you end up exp uh, expensing this expense. So that credit reduces the expense that you originally posted. That's how you will track it. Or else you're going to have to do two separate cards. It just gets way too complicated. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing it that way and documenting it through a distribution or a personal draw because that's not an expense anyway. If someone approached you and said, if you implement this system every morning, I will guarantee that you will have an amazing day. Would you do it? I'm sure in your head, you're probably thinking, well, it depends. But what if it was something that was doable? What if it was something that was manageable and it would ensure an entirely different outcome for the state of your life, a positive outcome, a controlled outcome, a relaxed outcome, an empowered outcome? So as many of you know, I struggled with postpartum depression after my second son was born. And to be honest, my life as a mom, as a person, felt like it was spiraling out of control. I ended up in the emergency room and I questioned whether or not I would get out or not. And at that moment, I promised myself that if I did, I would do things differently. And what came as a result of that promise to myself is a morning routine that I call control variables. Control variables is a five-step program that includes tasks that you need to complete in a condensed period of time. I have created an outline, a PDF download that goes through the entire system and how to implement it in your life that promises, if not guarantees, a better outcome for your day. James Clear, author of Atomic Habits says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Your goal is your desired outcome. Your system is the collection of daily habits that will get you there. My control variables download is the system and the daily habits that have gotten me to the state in which I'm living today. And I'm so proud of the state of my life. So I encourage you to check it out. The download is $25. I have a $5 discount when you use the code CV discount. So check in the show notes, tap the link and you will get the control variables PDF download straight to your email. So then to the clothing piece, if you do you have like a portion that maybe you're you are expensing it on your business card and then maybe is there like a percentage or is it I know that there was a case because I looked it up again, I'm like a good Samaritan and I want to make sure. And there was a guy who there was like some legal case where he was buying suits and the government was like, those cannot be deducted. And he actually won the case. Because I forget what it was, but he did have some sort of low, I think it was the logo. But now with the influencer space, I'm like, even if you don't have a logo, there's no way I would have shopped like I did before, like I do today because of the reward that I get for the item. So in terms of uniforms, it's the code is pretty clear that says uniforms can be deducted as long as you have your logo on them. Right. And it has to be visible. Now, my, the suits that I wear, I mean, they're, they're expensive suits. Like I mentioned, they come from a custom clothier who's, who's a client 
and family. So we end up getting the family deal, but they're still expensive. Am I able to write them off? No, I'd love to write them off. I really would. I mean, it's, it saved me thousands of dollars in taxes a year, but I don't because my logo, my Commonwealth brand is not embroidered on my suit. So if it were, then I could write that off because if I'm, I can wear this to dinners, to weddings, to business outings, I can't write off. Some accountants will tell you, or if you look at social media, they'll tell you, you can. The way I interpret it is I don't want to set up anybody for failure. I'm not going to say you can 100% write it off if you can. Now, in terms of Lululemon and if you're getting paid rewards to sponsor, are they giving you clothing? Or are you buying the clothes? I guess a lot of people get gifted and then you'll buy, you know, you'll just buy stuff, but then you're linking it. There's a platform called Reward Style where a lot of the thing, you know, there's certain companies within the app that are participative in which you get an affiliate commission for sharing them and you can link it. And people will click on the link and you get a percentage of that purchase, if that makes sense. But these little affiliate links, like I was saying, they add up to, can add up to a significant amount of money for a lot of, for me, it's not, you know, my core, core business, but I, it's definitely tens of thousands of dollars that it can add up to. In order to receive that revenue from these affiliates, you had to purchase a product. Yes. Okay. Now it becomes deductible because now it's an ordinary and necessary expense for you to do business because it doesn't matter. Why would I have to pay tax on just a gross revenue if I actually had to purchase a product in order to make that money? That's where it would be deductible. So I know what you mean. It's like, all right, this is, there's endless opportunities. I can say so many things, especially in the influencer space. Absolutely. So can we go back to the question of you know, say you're sitting on now cash as a self-employed entrepreneur and you're sitting there being like, how can I re I guess if, you know, I, I'm the example or whomever really, what would be a way like that you would be able to reinvest that in your business? You know, I was talking about, you know, getting a residential rental property because I'm familiar with that. I'm not so sure that would be great for someone who has no interest in that because, if you're an active investor, it's, it is a lot of work, you know, stuff like that. What are some of those practical, I want to say like business savvy reinvestments that can be done? Do you have any like ideas around that? Or is it so unique to the person that it's? It is. No, I mean, it's pretty standard. It depends on your philosophy. My philosophy is if I have a successful business, a successful operating business that I own and control, I feel extremely confident reinvesting my profits into myself and my business. There's a saying where if you try to catch two rabbits, you end up with none. So reinvesting your profits back into your operating business, your cash cow that's making you money is the ultimate way to scale and to reduce your tax liability. So for example, there's always ways where even an influencer can grow their own business to have increase in tax deductions, which reduces their tax liability. Ways like purchasing a vehicle where you're sitting on cash and you're like, look, in my business, I can purchase a business vehicle if it's over 6,000 pounds, especially lifestyle influencer. I want a Range Rover. I want a G-Wagon, Escalade, anything along those, even a Tesla. If it's over 6,000 pounds, and the vehicle costs you $100,000 and you're taking 80% of it, you just wrote off $80,000 and you conserved your cash because you're financing this vehicle. So if your business profit was $100,000 before you finance this business vehicle that you qualify for, your business income is now $20,000. That's one way. Advertising is huge. So for example, if you took a portion of your profit, you're like, look, I'm going to run these ad campaigns. You're spending the money on advertising, but you're also generating eyeballs and gaining an audience and, and uh, scaling your business to a, a larger reach, which is turns into, you, you could potentially monetize that. Hiring uh, a team, assistance. Okay. If I'm, if I'm creating content 
once a day? How do I do it two times a day? How do I hire more people around me where I'm spending, they're taking money from my business, but they're also providing me a service which allows me to scale. Now, when it comes to real estate and specifically in the uh, influencer realm, I like having a studio. So for example, I know working from home is extremely convenient, but sometimes it's nice to have that separation where even if it's close to home, you buy a commercial property. And with that comes massive tax deductions because your basis, what you purchased, you don't have to cash it out, but your down payment, your, your mortgage on the, the real estate is part of your business. So now you've taken this commercial building and you've made it a studio. You've invested in remodeling, decor, lighting, audio, visual. All of that reduces your tax liability because you're reinvesting. But what that does is it allows you to create more content, to invite guests to your show. You're spending money to make money. That's the name of the game. I love this. Okay. So on the topic of reinvesting, can we briefly talk about paying yourself as an entrepreneur? So as you know, the lifestyle entrepreneur, I don't have a lot of expenses. And so the question is, do I not pay myself and pull it into a personal account and instead think of, you know, more income producing investment opportunities and keep it in the business? Or do I pay myself? Are there any nuances to, you know, I have a Schwab, like a money market account at Schwab that's managed. And over this holiday trip, my dad's like, well, the first thing you need to do is get that business, the money that's sitting in your business account into that Schwab account. So it's, you know, increasing by 4%. But I get, again, I get, people get scared. I'm like, I've not paid myself. Like I've not, you know, how do you break that down for people? Or is there any, say, again, using me as this hypothetical example, if you're maybe advising someone and they're saying, look, should I pay myself? Like, I don't really have, uh, I know that people run into an issue where they're pouring maybe too much into their business and they're never giving anything to yourself. But say you're cash, you know, heavy, I say, and you're like, I feel confident that I'm not sinking it. You know, where is that line between like reinvesting and paying yourself? Or is it such an individual kind of situation that because I'm like, I just want to keep growing this nesting. And does that make sense? It's a great problem to have. You, you want to pay yourself. I mean, you go into business to make money at the end of the day. Of course, you want to impact the lives of others. But the, the, the universe is rewarding you for the services that you're providing. And that's through, through money. It's a resource. Now, it all depends on the way you're structured. And we don't have to get into those details. But if you're an LLC, sole proprietor, and you file your business income and expenses on your personal tax return on Form Schedule C, you are subject to higher self-employment taxes than in S-Corp. So it depends on the nature of your business, how much profitability you have. We like to use the benchmark of if your net income is $75,000 or higher, it's worth becoming an S-corporation, even though there are additional expenses such as payroll or filing a separate business tax return, your tax savings should far outweigh those additional expenses to make it worthwhile. Now, the beauty about becoming an S-corp is you get to determine how much salary you get paid. So in your case, if you're cash heavy, you're leaving a lot of your profits into your business, year over year, you're paying taxes on the income that the business made. That's your money. You've paid tax on it. The cash retained in your bank account is considered retained earnings, which means you can take that money and not pay any tax on it because you've paid tax on it over the years. You're free to do whatever the hell you want with it. You've earned it. But if you're an S corporation, if you make $100,000 in profit, I'll just use that for simple terminology. As a sole proprietor LLC, you're paying around $15,300 in self-employment taxes automatically, in addition to your federal withholding rate. So if you're at 20, 25%, that's an additional $25,000, 20, 25,000 plus your $15,000 in self-employment taxes. 
depending on which tax bracket you're in. Becoming an S corporation automatically, if we're using the $100,000 example, saves you around $7,000 automatically. Just because you filed a form, form 2553, it's two pages. Just because you filed that form and you decided, you know what, I'm going to take 50% of my profit and I'll take a $50,000 salary. The remaining $50,000 in net income is not subject to the self-employment taxes, saving you around $7,000 in taxes. You've paid self-employment taxes through your payroll. Payroll is a great vehicle for tax planning purposes. So most small businesses that we do business with are S-corporations because you get to decide how much payroll you want to pay yourself. It could be 50%. It could be 30%. You don't want to show the IRS that you're avoiding paying yourself as an escort because the stipulation is the officer must be paid a reasonable compensation. So if there's a big fat zero on line seven of the 1120S, which is the first page the IRS looks at, where it says officer compensation, if there's a zero there, that's a huge red flag because the IRS- You're now, taking the benefit without paying yourself. Exactly. Got it. Oh my goodness. I love talking this stuff, which who knew that I'd be a person who's like interested in talking about this. Okay. Can we switch gears? And I know we'll close down here shortly, but I want to talk about you now, you know, your core business is Commonwealth and what you do, but you have become quite the internet sensation amongst entrepreneurs. And I'd say just, you know, just business, small businesses, big businesses. I mean, you're working with these large clients now. What encouraged you to want to do that? That's a great question. I appreciate you asking me. It's not often that I actually talk about myself. I'm a very private individual. But when it came to business, I said, I'm doing an injustice to myself and my brothers and my team if I didn't get in front of a camera to leverage something very special that we have. And I know that if we can't attract specific clients locally because we don't have a local mentality, we think uh, national. After national, we're going to start thinking international. We will attract clients based on exporting our culture, our Commonwealth culture, what we stand for, what we believe in. So I said, the goal for us is let's get 10,000 followers by the end of the summer. So by the end of the summer, we ended up hitting 50,000. What I'm doing on social media is excellent because we've become a national practice. We have clients based in Hawaii, New York, California, Texas, I mean, everywhere, which is fun. It's exciting. I get to work with entrepreneurs for a living. I get paid to do that. And I work with family and friends. Like it's, it's, it's truly very tight knit, even amongst our clients. We're very selective, quality over quantity. Now you can only reach that audience through social media. But if I'm meeting with a client one-on-one, I'm only meeting with one client. So in order to scale, you either get financed, you hire employees, or you leverage the internet. And I chose to leverage the internet. And I am exporting what we stand for, what we believe in. And the beautiful thing is, it's a proven method. And it's fun because I'm not monetizing this yet. I haven't made a single penny off of social media. My monetization comes from helping others. And through my channel, I've been able to directly impact the social fabric of our country which is entrepreneurs. And it, I think we're coming full circle. So when we called it Commonwealth, which means the good of humanity, the good of society, I believe in a higher power. My existence was to put on this planet to help others through financial literacy, through understanding accounting and taxes. And if that's my role, I'll take it with, with open arms. And I, it's a huge responsibility, but it's an honorable title that I love. So, but there's nothing more empowering and impactful than helping others. Number one. Number two comes the, the monetization and, and business. That's just how the universe rewards you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're doing a wonderful job at that. So thank you so much, Khalil, for being on the at home startup podcast. I'm going to put all of your information in the show notes. For you know, those who are interested in uh, Khalil and Commonwealth, you have to follow them on Instagram. It's just empowerment to your phone every single day, positive content, which I personally am like that's that's all we're about. So 
Is there anything else, like any final words you want to leave with the listener, Khalil, as we close out? I'll leave a few final words. Number one, I want to thank you for the opportunity for having me. Number two, which is, I think, the most important, is there's no higher or um, more honorable title to have than being a mother, in my own personal opinion. I have a, a beautiful wife, a loving wife, and and children, and I see what mothers have to go through on a daily basis. Women are built different than men. And to be able to balance, especially you, Brooke, and your audience, to be able to balance motherhood, being a wife, and also being an entrepreneur, I don't think we would be able to do that as men. Like, you guys are really built different. Kudos to you because instead of having to choose between the two, which is the dilemma for most women, you're allowing them and you're giving them a gateway for them to choose both, which is incredible. And we need more of you. And I hope that you expand your horizons even more and you attract and empower more women to chase their dreams, start that business without having to sacrifice motherhood or being a great wife. I am just so grateful. I feel like we are on the same wavelength and clearly we are. And I know that my listeners got so much from hearing you talk and just your energy and your overall values for you know what you want to put into this world. So thank you so much, Khalil. Thank you, Brooke. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. As I was saying in this episode, I feel like there are tranches that you get to in your life, which I was actually talking to my dad about. There's the individual who aspires to express themselves through acting on their purpose in life, right? And then there's someone who acts on that purpose in life and they figure out how to make an entrepreneurial business from it. And then there's the next level, which you figure out how to be an entrepreneur doing what it is you love and you start actually making money at it. And then there's that next level where you go, oh my gosh, being an entrepreneur is wonderful, but I really need to be smart about my accounting and my tax preparation, my financial strategy. And Khalil answers so many questions on that topic. As you listen, we went into my specific questions. I have so many as a lifestyle influencer, but I hope you gathered that like these practices that he shares on Instagram and if you hire him for his services, these you know span and give you confidence to go after what it is that you want to do business-wise. What I love about Khalil is he gives you the information to empower you. Maybe you're not going to act on every little thing that you that he says, but at least you have the knowledge. At least you know that you're not just writing a check and not knowing if you're paying the right amount or not. So I just love Khalil. I love his energy. I love that he himself is acting upon his entrepreneurial passion. And he said he's being rewarded for it tenfold and people are just magnetized to him. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Check out all the information in the show notes and more than anything from this episode, I hope you gathered that sometimes you just have to switch out the playbook. Until next time on the At Home Startup Podcast.